Welcome to The Brunch Club, a podcast brought to you by three dietetic and nutrition students and future dietitians who are true foodies at heart. Meet your hosts, Jenny, Stacy, and Hannah, who spit nothing but the truth around health and nutrition. We are excited to provide you with body-positive, anti-diet culture, and non-restrictive health facts and tips. Join us with your cup of coffee or glass of mimosa and get ready to listen to us chew away nutrition myths, discuss hot topics, and share our journeys to becoming registered dietitians. Let's brunch! Hi everyone and welcome back to episode 8 of The Brunch Club. Today we are super excited to bring to you dietitian Tiana Smith. We follow her on Instagram and we have loved her for so long and we are so excited to bring you today's content. Um, A little bit about her, she graduated with her bachelor's degree from San Diego State University. She then got a master's degree in nutritional science at Brigham Young University and she has been a dietitian for 10 years now. Some of her specialties include eating disorders and disordered eating behaviors, intuitive eating, general wellness, weight management, diabetes, and insulin resistance, as well as pregnancy, breastfeeding, and even child and adolescent nutrition. She is well-rounded and full of advice, knowledge, and amazing information, and we are super excited to bring to you um, today's episode where we're going to dive into specifically eating disorders um, and intuitive eating. So thank you so much again for coming on and deciding to um, talk to us today about um, eating disorders and intuitive eating and just, you know, everything that you do. Um, But before we begin, we love to make sugar feel normal and not like it's weird to have sugar cravings or anything like that. So what is your favorite dessert? Oh, that's such a good question. I am like a home-baked like cookie person. Like I have the most amazing chocolate chip cookie recipe. <laughs> oh my god! And that's really my go-to. Like I know it's nothing spectacular, but um, yeah, I'm I'm a chocolate chip cookie girl. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I love yes. love cookies, <laughs> especially if it's like chewy, like fresh, warm. Love it. Yes, they have to be chewy for sure. Yes. <laughs> so you have a recipe that you follow then when you make your chocolate chip cookies. You'll have I to share do. that. Yeah. Can I we have find it on that my, anywhere? Um, I have it shared on my Instagram highlights under recipes. It's from Cook With Care on Instagram. She's a friend of mine and oh my gosh, she's just amazing. She posts the most delicious things. And so, yeah, you guys should check it out. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, so the next question is, what is one word that describes you? The first thing that pops into my mind would be passionate. <laughs> I... <laughs> get very passionate about things, especially what I do for a living. I like, I'm very passionate about my family and just, I love them so much. And I also love my clients so much. And so, yeah, I I would say I'm a very passionate person. (laughs) I love that. Definitely. We can tell by your posts. Oh yeah. (laughs) A lot of passion in your posts. I love it. I find that a lot of dietitians are, are very passionate. Um, and we have to be. <laughs> yeah, it's a good treat to have. To. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of ties in with our next question. What is your favorite part about being an RD? Oh, that's a really good one. Um, I think just being able to witness my clients' lives change for the better. Um, 
I started out my career working at an inpatient eating disorder facility in Arizona. And that was a different experience than what I'm currently doing because now I have a private practice and I'm just seeing outpatient clients. But I'll kind of give you the comparison. So with inpatient treatment, my clients would come in so significantly brain starved that they really lost who they were and their personality. And from just nutrition alone, after a couple weeks, I would get to witness their personality shine. And, and although, you know, it was a long road, um, that was so incredible to get to witness. Um, now that I'm an outpatient dietitian, I obviously am working with my clients a lot longer. And so I get to see sort of their, their whole process come to life. But um, usually when people come in to see me, they're at their lowest point in life. And uh, usually by the time they graduate working with me, they're doing better in life than they've ever done before. And that is just, it's such a beautiful thing to get to, to witness. I feel so grateful that I get to be a part of really changing people's lives. So it's, yeah, just an amazing career. I am so grateful every day for it. I love that. And I love that you said graduating from working with you because it really is. Yeah. Yeah, it, like it is. And, and I always like to commend my, my clients for getting to that point um, because it's a big deal. So, yes. yeah. The next question is what is the hardest part about your job? Um, one thing that I find to be really difficult is when I have to refer clients to a higher level of care. That's something that I don't like to have to do um, because I always fear that people will feel like a failure. And I always try to make it really clear that this isn't about failing or winning. It's about having adequate support so that you can live the life that you deserve to live, a life free completely from the eating disorder. And so um, it's really hard for me when I do have to uh, make that recommendation, but I do recognize that sometimes that is a necessary step for people to fully recover. So um, yeah, that's, that's what I'd say is the hardest part. How often would you say you, that um, that happens? Not very often. I would say, if I were to put a percentage on it, maybe 10 to 15% of the time. Okay. Uh, when clients call me, uh, I always chat with them for about 10 to 15 minutes before booking the first session. And I like to get sort of a quick idea of where they are at in their lives and if somebody is really, really, really deep in their eating disorder, I do always tell them that I will give them four to six weeks in working with me to identify if outpatient is enough support for them. Um, and I would say a lot of people are motivated enough at that point to where they are able to make progress in an outpatient setting. But yeah, I, I would say about 10 to 15% of the time, it's just not enough support. They really need somebody that can eat meals with them, eat snacks with them, and just really be able to provide them support 24 seven. 
So, so before we dive into more going into eating disorders, I just wanted to know a little bit more about what led you to become a dietitian and more importantly, like specializing in eating disorders. Yeah. So when I was in high school, I had a really good friend who struggled with an eating disorder. She went to treatment and when she got out, she said that her dietitian played a major role in her recovery and she loved her dietitian and just said that she made such an impact on her life. Um, At the time I was a junior in high school and I thought I wanted to be a journalist or an English teacher. Um, Mm -hmm. But I realized in that moment that being a dietitian and working with somebody who is suffering from an eating disorder would be so rewarding. Um, I was already interested in nutrition. So I just felt like that would be the perfect career for me. And fortunately it has been, it's been everything and more that I thought it would be. I love that. That's so funny how you went from English or journalism to dietetics and nutrition. Usually you don't hear about that leap. (laughs) Yeah. It's so different. And science mm-hmm. was not something that came easy to me. Yeah, so, here. <laughs> you know, I'll be honest, like, I think I worked 10 times harder in school than a lot of my friends because it didn't come natural to me. Um, but fortunately, working with people and connecting with people did come very natural to me. And so that has really helped me. Um, in my practice and just connecting with my clients. I love that you say that skill. Yeah. Because I've, I've heard people say like, Oh, that's great that you're studying nutrition and dietetics. I wish I could have done that, but I'm just no good at science and math and chemistry. And so they say I picked something else instead, but it it's true that, like you said, you know, you had to work extra hard, but it was worth it. Yeah. So it's not impossible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you want it hard, like bad enough, um, you can absolutely do it for sure. So jumping into discussing eating disorders, how would you define what an eating disorder is for someone who may not know at all? Yeah, so that is a really loaded question um, because, I mean, I could have two people that are diagnosed, let's say, with anorexia, and they may actually display pretty different um, behaviors or struggles. Um, And so eating disorders, just to kind of keep it uh, simple, concise, they're a mental illness. Um, It is something that a person does not choose um, and has nothing to do with self-control as some people think. Um, I, I see people that struggle with restricting certain meals. I see people that restrict with just I see people that restrict um, just their portions overall. Um, I see people who struggle with orthorexia where they feel like they need to eat super, super healthy, but that ultimately ends up in malnutrition. Um, I see people that struggle more with bulimia, so they may restrict their intake and then binge and purge. Um, Other people will purge through exercise or laxatives. Um, and then I see other people that struggle more with binge eating disorder as well that, um, struggle more with primarily binging. Uh, and then lastly, I also see people who, um, struggle with ARFID, which is a little bit different in that 
it's more uh, centered around people who struggle with the fear of getting sick or the fear of eating certain foods, but there isn't usually that body image uh, piece. So um, I could honestly answer that question in like several hours. <laughs> A whole sure. separate episode on that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I literally could talk sure. for hours about that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they're just, oh, so, they're also different. And so it's, it's kind of a hard question, but I think, yeah, like I said, the number one commonality is that it is a mental illness. And I think that that's really important for people to understand. Right. And I love how you said it, it's not a choice because right. a lot of people believe that, you know, or they'll, their advice to someone may be, well, just stop doing that or and it's much more complicated than that. So that's a huge piece to understand, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. People um, believe that it's like a vanity issue and that they want to, you know, look perfect and they, and people don't understand, like you said, that it's a mental illness. It's not a choice. Um, and sometimes it doesn't have to do with body image. Yeah, absolutely. So what would be your response to someone who is arguing that it's a vanity issue and um, a self-control issue? Um, so I would kind of just educate them on the fact that it is, like I said, a mental health issue. This has nothing to do with um, not being able to control food or, or, or any of that. I think sometimes, how I like to explain it is sometimes in the eating disorder, the eating disorder is really good at convincing somebody that it is all about food and body. Um, but ultimately when somebody recovers, they recognize that it has really nothing to do with food and body. Um, there's so much uh, that underlies the eating disorder. And that's why I often work with therapists as well. It's very rare for me to see somebody who isn't also seeing a therapist who specializes in eating disorders because I think sometimes people try to focus on the symptoms, which is the, the eating disorder behaviors rather than why these symptoms are happening in the first place. So I think that's one thing that um, makes me a little bit different as a dietitian is I really try to understand what's going on underneath the, the food and body um, issues that the eating disorder wants to really focus on. So that can be hard for somebody that's, that's also struggling with eating disorder um, because it requires them to be very vulnerable and to kind of explore things that maybe aren't super comfortable for them. Yeah, I can imagine that being really difficult. It kind of reminds me of like a post that you had um, on your Instagram where you kind of mentioned like you asked your client, like if you could, you know, see your eating disorder as a separate person, like how would you describe your eating disorder? And I liked how you um, made that like connection for that person. You know, you let them know, like you are not the eating disorder. Like it's something different. You are you and the eating disorder is its own thing. And I feel like that needs to be um, brought up more and spoke about more too. Yeah, I'm really big on helping my clients see that they are not their eating disorder. Um, I always like to refer to like your healthy self and then the eating disorder. And so your healthy self is who you are at your core. 
who you were born to be. Um, although eating disorders sometimes can like run in the family, nobody's born with an eating disorder. And so every single person has what I like to call their healthy self. And a tool that can be really helpful in eating disorder recovery is being able to separate your healthy self from the eating disorder. So when the eating disorder says you shouldn't eat that food, it's going to be unhealthy for you. It's going to cause weight gain, whatever. I always encourage them to think, okay, well, what would your healthy self say about that though? Um, because oftentimes the eating disorder likes to manipulate and kind of gets people in that emotional state of mind versus the logical state of mind. So, um, I feel like that's a really important skill to learn for somebody that's in recovery. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Going on based on that, are there any other like maybe misconceptions or myths that you hear often about eating disorders that might make you like cringe a little bit? Uh, yeah, I think that probably the biggest one that makes me cringe is that people believe that if somebody has an eating disorder, they should look a certain way. Um, I see clients of all shapes and sizes of all ethnicities, um, people who come from a variety of backgrounds and there really is no one size fits all. Um, it's eating disorders do not discriminate. (laughs) Like it's very diverse. And unfortunately, one of the things that's hard is, um, it can be challenging for people to get good care because seeing a dietitian may be expensive. Seeing a therapist may be expensive. Mm. Um, I'm in the process of actually getting a network with quite a few insurance companies right now because I want to be able to provide my services to a variety of people because I recognize this doesn't just affect the middle or upper class. I think that's a major misconception that this is a thin white woman disease um, when it absolutely is not. Yeah. And I've seen like, based on that comment, people often praise the behaviors of an individual in a large body engaging in disordered eating behaviors because they're like, Oh, good for them. They're, they're trying to lose weight. But if somebody who is um, a little in a smaller body engaging in those behaviors, they'll say, oh, eat a cheeseburger. And why are you, why right. are you doing so, that? So like preoccupied. Yeah. 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 But if somebody is in a larger body engaging in disordered eating behaviors, people applaud them. Um, right. So do you see that happening often? Absolutely. I think there is so much shame for people who are living in a larger body to eat certain foods and to and to really eat what i would consider really appropriate portions um and this just breaks my heart it's it's something that is so hard to hear my clients talk about um because our diet culture world has just warped what actually is healthy to be considered unhealthy which is completely untrue. Um, and then, yeah, absolutely. When I have clients come in who are underweight, they are often told by their family that you should eat foods that diet culture would consider to be quote unquote fattening. Um, but again, it's like, 
why are these foods demonized for anybody because right. of their because of the size of the the person that's consuming it it's right. really frustrating for me <laughs> oh yeah 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 and we all of this, feel the same yeah. way <laughs> it all just shows because i we talk about this a lot all of us about how people are pursuing body size and thinness not health so if you're in a larger body people say you shouldn't eat this you shouldn't eat that if you're in a small body people say oh yeah suddenly all these foods are okay um and so they, it just shows they really diet culture doesn't know what it's talking about and people are pursuing a body size that is unrealistic um and they're not pursuing health like like they think they are um and so that's just something that frustrates us so much um and so yeah definitely your perspective really confirms that yeah um, i get a lot of calls from clients or potential clients um saying that they want to hire me to help them lose weight and the first thing that i always say is i cannot guarantee that by working with me you're going to lose weight we will focus on your health and help you get back to getting in tune with your biological cues, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to put you on a restrictive meal plan. I'm not going to tell you to not eat the foods that you love. We're going to help you create a healthy relationship around food and ultimately help you be the healthiest person you can be. And sometimes I get great reactions where where people say, yes, this is what I've been looking for. This has been what I wanted for so long. And then I have other people that, you know, they're like, oh, well, I'm concerned about the number on the scale and that's it. And, and I always just say, okay, that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to result in health for you. Right. So yeah. it's yeah. tricky. Yeah. Yeah. People really have a hard time understanding that because of the message that that diet culture puts out into society. Um, I had another question about diagnosing eating disorders. So is it challenging to pinpoint which disorder it actually is? Do some of them overlap? Um, so how does that work when diagnosing a person? Yeah, so as a dietitian, I cannot legally diagnose somebody. Um, they would need to go to their doctor, a psychiatrist or a therapist to be actually diagnosed. I have specialized in eating disorders for 10 years now where after completing an initial assessment, I can identify whether or not somebody struggles with anorexia, bulimia, ARFID, binge eating disorder. Um, but I'm not able to legally, like I said, give that diagnosis. Um, but yeah, I just think that that comes with experience. There are times where I'm like, oh, this person definitely struggles with disordered eating and it very well could evolve into an eating disorder. Uh, however, the mental health, me mental illness part um, is what really differentiates the two between disordered eating and and eating disorders. So yeah, it's it's really just something that I think has come with experience being able to sort of identify where somebody's at with that. So let's say, um, you know, for our listeners, if we have a friend or family member who maybe 
we believe may show signs of disordered eating behaviors, possibly eating disorder. What are ways that we can support those people and what are some ways to avoid like triggering conversations and how do you, um, you know, approach that with that kind of person? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think that sometimes when people recognize or get sort of those feelings that a loved one is struggling with disordered eating or especially an eating disorder, they tend to not want to talk about it. I think that it's kind of an uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people to have. However, it's an important conversation to have. And so I always recommend taking the approach of really just showing how much you care about them and how much you love them. And by doing that and, and, and not kind of calling them out or, or blaming them or making them feel more shame about it, it's likely that they're going to be more receptive and open to what you have to say. I have a number of parents actually who have called me over the years who have seen disordered eating signs in their adolescent children. I always give them so many kudos for catching those signs early and bringing them in, bringing their child into me um, to just talk about health rather than weight. Because if somebody can get that help early, the likelihood of it not turning into an eating disorder is so much greater. So I always say that getting help as early as possible is so important. Um, And what I always recommend too with parents is to just say, hey, we're gonna go in and and see this really nice person who is just gonna talk to you about being healthy. And this is something that the whole family's also gonna do. So that that way that person doesn't feel singled out if they are an adolescent. Obviously, if they're an adult, it could be a little different, but um, yeah, definitely getting help as soon as possible is really, really important. What would you say the most common age um, is of your clients? Um, So right now, I have quite a few adolescents right now. It's interesting. It's sort of like ebbs and flows. So my youngest right now is nine. Um, but then I, I work with people all the way up to the age of 60 right now. So most commonly I see a lot of people, uh, that are like 17, 18, 19, and then up to about usually like 25. But, um, again, eating disorders do not discriminate. I have somebody who's struggling with an eating disorder right now who is 60. So, you know, although I would say like early twenties is, super common. I do get clients that are really young and clients that are older as well. Wow. I think that's important for our listeners to hear. Like you said, it doesn't discriminate and, you know, it it is something that can affect anyone of any age, any size, ethnicity, like you said. Um, And those people should not feel like they are alone if they feel like maybe they are older and you know this kind of thing shouldn't be happening to someone of my age quote unquote yeah they're not alone that's important yeah Yeah. and I think like I was talking about how people in larger bodies are maybe applauded for you know trying to be quotes healthy when in reality they potentially have an eating disorder or are 
heading in that direction with disordered eating behaviors, I think it's similar with just adults or people who are older or middle-aged, um, whether they're in a large body or small body, um, because it, it's almost expected for adults to be on some sort of diet, I feel like in, in this society that, that we live in of diet culture, it's just assumed for, for you know, let's say uh, women in their, in their 40s and 50s to be what they believe is health conscious, but in reality is, is um, having disordered eating behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe um, if they've struggled with it for years, they don't exactly recognize that that it's an issue even when they're older. I think like, thankfully our generation of uh, 25 year olds, 18 year olds were more um, open and welcoming when it comes to mental illness. So I think that's why maybe it's picked up on more with um, younger people or young adults. Yeah, I totally agree with that for sure. Yeah, so we are big promoters and believers in intuitive eating. And we just want to know how you incorporate intuitive eating when working with your clients. I mean, we even had like a viewer ask us, how do you incorporate intuitive eating when maybe you don't know much about nutrition? It might be something scary for people that um, just kind of, you know, they haven't read the book. They don't really know too much, but they want to kind of start that journey. (laughs) Cough, cough. Just heard all (laughs) the... You guys saw my post on that. Oh, yes, yes we did. <laughs> That's passionate. like a whole other, <laughs> I'm very whole other episode. Yes. Yeah, that was funny. You were like, I'm going to control myself. I was like, don't control yourself. Let it out. <laughs> Let it all out. <laughs> I, it would have been interesting if I posted those videos right <sighs> after I first watched them because I was so heated. Like I, could, I was in that fight or flight mentality like it was yeah, yeah. Kind of I watched that. I watched your video before Jen, Jenny told us she was like watch Tiana's video before you watch Jillian's <laughs> video because you will be less mad so I watched your <laughs> video first and I tried to go to hers and I watched two seconds I was like I'm out I'm yeah, out I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't oh, do it was so like the faces she was making like just everything I was just kind of like wow like and the comments of people like, the, yeah. thank you for this, like, yeah, and so talking like, about, no. yeah, their yeah. experience with, with intuitive eating as if it were a fad diet, because of course, society likes to turn everything into a diet. So something that wasn't intended to be used in that way is now being um, used that way. And people are like, it caused me to binge and, and things like that. So anyway, <laughs> back to the question, <laughs> um, what would you advise for people who are nervous about intuitive eating who don't know much about nutrition? Yeah. So first thing, um, get the book. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Get the book and read the entire book. I definitely think if somebody is really motivated to start their intuitive eating journey that they do also hire a dietitian or an intuitive eating coach to really help them through it. As I mentioned in my Jillian Michaels videos, um, it's not as simple as one may think. Um, And so having somebody to sort of walk you through it is really, really helpful and beneficial. That's what I often do in my practice. I'll encourage somebody to purchase the book. 
I encourage them to read it each week. And then in our follow-up sessions, we break it all down. They ask me questions that pertain to them personally, and we're able to sort of work through it together. Um, there's also a really great workbook that they recently came out with that's also helpful in practicing intuitive eating in the moment at your own home. So that's really a great resource as well. But um, yeah, it's it can be a challenge for me personally. I feel like it took a few years to reach stage five of intuitive eating. It's not something that just happens overnight. And listening to your hunger and fullness cues, although it sounds simple, it's actually much more complicated than one would think. Uh, and a lot of that is thanks to diet culture and kind of unhealthy influences along the way that have sort of detached us from our biological cues. So yeah, for sure, get the book and then, you know, consider reaching out to somebody that can help you work through it as well. Thank you for that. Um, I think that's really important because Jenny, Stacy, and I are student dietitians. And so we're surrounded with a lot of different messages regarding nutrition from dietitians who have a different point of view. And then those like you who um, we feel our values are uh, leaning toward a similar, uh, similar values. And so um, it's easy for us to understand in a way, but it's almost hard to explain to people who have just been so brainwashed by diet culture and don't understand nutrition and they want a quick fix like everybody wants. Um, and so, and of course, like we mentioned, people are on the pursuit of a certain weight, not of health. And so it's so difficult to answer that question when people ask um, us. And so thank you for that response. Yes, buy the book and read it. <laughs> it's not a quick fix. Yeah. So, <laughs> so hopefully Julian Michaels will listen to this, which she probably won't. But anyway, <laughs> if she does. She would roll her eyes. <laughs> Anywho, um, we did receive listener questions because we did make a post on our stories that we were going to be speaking about eating disorders and a couple people reached out to us. Um, so someone had reached out to me and their question for you is, they're not sure if they have an eating disorder, basically, but they have a hard time with stress eating. Um, so food is always the thing that they turn to when they get overwhelmed. Um, this person is trying to lose weight. And uh, as I said, they're trying to eat cleaner, but they said they are still having a problem with binge eating at times. So they essentially want to know, is this an eating disorder um, or, or what's going on? So I think that definitely requires a full assessment um, before identifying if somebody actually has an eating disorder or if it's disordered eating. I will say though, regardless if this person has an eating disorder or is struggling with disordered eating, seeing a dietitian would be really, really beneficial for them. A lot of people think because I specialize in eating disorders, those are the only people that I can help. Um, but actually about half my clientele don't struggle with eating disorders at all. And they're able to make a lot of, of progress and, and really work through the stress eating that this uh, follower had mentioned. They're able to get more in tune with their body. They're able to make peace with food. 
Um, I do a ton of body image work with people, whether they have an eating disorder or not, because let's be honest, most people struggle with their body image. So it's important for everybody to work through that. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my recommendation would be to, to hire a dietitian where she can get a full assessment and work through the things that she's concerned with. Yeah, thank you. Um, important. I, li- I like yeah. how you how you said like, um, you know, these practices are helpful for everyone. It's not just something that, you know, intuitive eating is not something that someone should just do because they struggle with, um, you know, eating behaviors or whatever it may be. Intuitive eating is something that everyone, you know, we're born with, with that intuition. And it's something that we should try to get back to. Do you, do you feel that way as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, with intuitive eating, it's obviously a journey and everybody's journeys look a little bit different for some people when they do come to see me and they do have an eating disorder, I tell them there are aspects of intuitive eating that they can start to follow. But typically if somebody's pretty deep in their eating disorder, they do need a pretty structured meal plan. And one of the things that I love that Evelyn Triboli had shared at a conference that I went to a few years ago, she said, when somebody's deep in their eating disorder, their meal plan is like a cast. And there's no shame in in wearing a cast if you have a broken arm, right? And so it's important that they, they keep that cast on for ideally two years, she said, before they take that cast off and begin their intuitive eating journey. Um, However, there are aspects of intuitive eating such as listening to your cravings and choose what genuinely sounds good. Those are things that anybody can start working on. Um, And then I have other people who are doing really well in their recovery after six months and we can start diving more into listening to hunger fullness cues and leaving a few bites on their plate, but still having that structure. Uh, And then for somebody with disordered eating, it would be a little bit different where they could start intuitive eating, obviously, right away sometimes. So. And I have a, a, just one more question uh, regarding the listener question that I received, um, because I know you mentioned something about this at the beginning of this episode uh, regarding clean eating. And so is the pursuit of eating clean safe um, or is it a potential form of disordered eating? So I understand that people want to take care of their bodies and eat nutritious foods and feel good. I think where it becomes a problem is when you feel guilty for eating something that you enjoy that maybe diet culture says is bad. I think there really needs to be balance in all things. Um, I myself, I do eat fruits and vegetables every single day. I do eat grains with every single meal. I eat dietary fats um, and I eat dessert pretty much every single day. And that is what's healthy. Um, If you're eating so rigid and quote unquote clean all the time and not allowing yourself to have adequate carbohydrates or dietary fat or desserts 
um, that actually can result in malnutrition. And that's what I often see with my clients who struggle with orthorexia because they've sort of taken this idea of clean eating to the extreme to where they're actually lacking necessary nutrients because they're eating so quote unquote clean. So, um, yeah, I think that it absolutely can be harmful, um, if you're not doing it in balance and making sure that you are incorporating a variety of foods and, and foods that you also enjoy. Right. Right. Yeah, that's good. We definitely all preach balance very heavily in all of our podcasts. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, and that kind of brings me to a listener question that I received, um, so this person said that they were trying to be in you know, caloric deficit. They were, I believe, trying to lose weight or pursue healthier eating. And he said that I noticed during lunch and or dinner, I wanted to eat and eat and eat and eat. So that technically like they were restricting these calories throughout the day. And then when it got to lunch and dinner, they wanted to just binge. And they wanted to know, is that binge eating or would that just pertain to not eating enough throughout the day? So they weren't. Yeah. So, so is he asking if he has binge eating disorder or? Yeah. So he said, is this a symptom of binge eating disorder or is this solely because, you know, I'm in a calorie deficit? So again, I I can't identify just from his question if he has binge eating disorder. That does require like a full assessment. Right. Um, However, if he is binging, then yeah, that is a symptom of binge eating disorder. And I see this all the time when people are dieting and they're trying to, you know, consume less calories where they end up restricting during the day and then their body gets so hungry that they end up binging. That's a very natural, normal response to hunger. And especially when our brains aren't getting the nutrition that it needs, we're going to want to obviously eat more. And so, so yeah, I think that any kind of caloric deficit is not healthy and is going to increase the likelihood of binging. So I never recommend that with anybody. Um, so important that we listen to our bodies and, and those hunger and fullness cues. Right. And I think Thank in you. some cases it's binging as a, like for survival purposes, not mm-hmm. necessarily like right. a binge eating disorder. Right. And then of course, yes. like Tiana said, if you're really concerned, it's important that you try to contact a registered dietitian who can help you with this with this um, concern of yours. So thank you for, for answering that in that way. So the final question that we have for you to sort of wrap things up is, do you have a quick sliver of advice for any RDs to be who are interested in going into specializing in eating disorders uh, or intuitive eating? Yes, absolutely. So for me, when I was in school, I learned absolutely nothing about eating disorders. Uh, (laughs) And I have a bachelor's and a master's degree. Um, What I ended up doing though, I did Utah State's distance internship program. And I liked that they allowed you to choose like a one month elective rotation. So I chose to work at Loma Linda's eating disorder program. um, And 
that was really helpful for me to see what a dietitian did day to day who, you know, works with people who struggle with eating disorders. I also did get a job working as a nutrition assistant at UCSD's eating disorder program after I got my master's degree. And again, that was really helpful for me to understand what treatment looks like. And I had the opportunity to teach some nutrition classes. So I got um, some good experience there. Um, and then I, I did a lot of self-study. I, you know, uh, went on and watched a lot of webinars related to eating disorders. I connected with other dietitians who specialized in eating disorders. Um, Evelyn Triboli is an amazing resource if you are interested in teaching intuitive eating. I personally do not have the certification. However, that is my goal for next year to get that done. But yeah, I think the more you can do outside of school to kind of teach yourself essentially from other professionals, the better. Um, my very first job, I like to say I got baptized by fire. I was working at Bermuda <laughs> Ranch, their inpatient facility. And that really prepared me and taught me so much. And I always say, I have learned more about eating disorders and how to treat eating disorders from my clients than I have from anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that you're open to learning and learning from your clients too. Um, so yeah, you kind of have to step outside of school and, and right. kind of find your own yeah. resources. But um, that's important. We have a lot yeah. of student dietitians who are our peers who listen. And I think that's so good for them to hear if they're interested in that, because you kind of assume, oh, I'll learn this eventually in school. And then suddenly you're graduated, like you said, a bachelor's and a master's and you're like, whoa, um, apparently I have to learn this on my own and networking with professionals who do specialize in that. So I think that's so important and will be so useful, uh, such a useful piece of advice for, you know, people in their undergraduate program with dietetics and nutrition who are interested in that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, thank you so much. thank you for everything you have, um, said today. We, appreciate it more than you can imagine. Um, but before we go, is there one final message you would like to leave, um, an advice, just any kind of message, whatever it may be to us and to our listeners? Yeah. So just the one thing I would say is that whoever's listening, you deserve to have a life where you enjoy food and company and that you don't struggle with guilt after eating. Like you deserve a life where you feel free from food. And I recognize that the eating disorder and also disordered eating makes it really challenging to just enjoy food and, and be present and enjoy your life and allow food to be just one part of your life, but not your entire life. And that, um, you know, working towards having a neutral or even positive body image is absolutely possible. I have witnessed people heal their relationships with food and their body over the last 10 years, and it's so possible for anybody. So if you are struggling, don't give up. Reach out for support. Uh, help is absolutely possible, and you do not have to 
live with any of these negative food thoughts or body thoughts. So, so yeah, you can do it. <laughs> Thank you so Very much. Very beautifully that was said. amazing. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. We appreciate you um, joining us. I know that a lot of people are really going to appreciate your um, advice, your expertise. And um, so thank you a million times. Thanks so much for having me. It was so nice to meet all of you. You too. You too. Thank you everyone for joining us once again on another episode of The Brunch Club. So today's guest was registered dietitian Tiana Smith, and you can find her on Instagram at dietitian.tiana. And her website is realisticrootsnutrition.com. You can go ahead and follow her, reach out to her too, connect with her as well if you have any further questions about anything. As always, you can follow us on Instagram as well. You can find us at Jen Nutrition, at Nutrition by Stace, and at Blontrition. Um, don't forget to follow, share, all the above. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. We love to see your comments on there as well. And DM us if you have any further suggestions, maybe for future episodes on something you want to hear or any questions that you might want us to answer on a future episode. So thank you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.